Hi, this is Jason Cascarino. Thanks for listening to the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, a production of the Remaking Middle School Initiative, whose founding partners include Youth Next, the University of Virginia's Center to Promote Effective Youth Development, and the Association for Middle Level Education, or AMLE. You can learn about Remaking Middle School on the web at remakingmiddleschool.org. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, where we explore the many facets of young adolescence in the middle school years, from the adverse to the awkward to the awesome. I'm your host, Jason Cascarino. Today, I'm excited to announce that the production of our third season is officially underway. Our first episode will be available for listening on your preferred podcast platform in October. Season three will be packed with new guests, more lessons, and fresh showcases of research, practice, and advocacy, all focused on young adolescent learning and development. Before we dive into season three, let's listen in on some of the conversations we had with educators, researchers, and advocates in the field during season two. This is the second of two recap episodes for season two. The description and show notes of this recap episode include timestamps with the names and associations of our season two guests you'll be hearing from, as well as the links to the full episode they are featured in. To get a full listen of the content we covered last season, be sure to look out for part one of our season two recap series. And now, here is part two of our season two recap. So tell us how and why you first got involved in the world of education and and youth service. So I was born into like a family of educators. I went to school for my degree in psychology with the thought process that I wanted to be different. I didn't want to work in the school system. I wanted to go maybe the more medical route, but was just always drawn back to education and working with youth in some different capacities. So I got my bachelor's in psychology from Central State University. And now I'm at Howard where I'm pursuing my master's in social work there. It just gives me a different approach. I always knew I wanted to be in education, ultimately just not a teacher. So I take my hats off to teachers. (laughs) I I didn't have that capacity. So higher achievement allowed me the space to do that as I came in as a manager of instruction. Yeah. So I got into working with early adolescents via youth ministry. You're, you're absolutely right. So when I was in middle school, I started working on staff at a summer camp and I stayed on staff at that camp for 10 years, all through middle school, high school, college, and ended up being the director of it for a few years as I wrapped up my college years. And in that time just came to really deeply appreciate working with kids even as I was still a developing adolescent myself, right? And then had the privilege coming out of college to work in youth ministry settings at two very large ministries where I got to work exclusively with middle school age kids and was so struck in those years by their passion and their energy and their enthusiasm for life, struck by their deep care for people around them and for their inquisitive spirits and the curiosity that's just sort of naturally there, and particularly intrigued by their connection to imagination. I took a really roundabout way to get to education. I actually graduated from Bentley University with a degree in economics, worked in a financial institution in software companies, and started volunteering at my kids' school when they were younger. And I'd always wanted to be a teacher, but I wasn't great in school. 
So I, I didn't know if that was the right path for me. And I was steered kind of to the business end of it from um, my family. So I didn't come into education until about 15 years ago. And I, there's just something about middle school students. They are starting to kind of form their identity. They're getting to know who they are, what they want to do. And oftentimes they're forming that social identity, but they're not forming an academic identity. And that's kind of what drew me to the middle school level. I'm a former educator, former classroom teacher. I taught uh, fifth grade for seven years before entering the nonprofit space. And I never thought I wanted to be a teacher throughout school. I bounced back and forth about through different ideas of careers. For a while, I wanted to be a psychologist, and then I wanted to be a paleontologist, and then I wanted to be a dolphin trainer. Uh, I just had all of these big ideas and wanted to be involved in a lot of the issues I cared about. And for me, that involved literacy. So I became a reading teacher. I applied to Teach for America on a whim. And so my education story is pretty lucky in that way. But that uncertainty and confusion that I felt is pretty prevalent still for Gen Z and for students today. So as I was a teacher, I noticed that there weren't many opportunities for my students to learn about real world issues and about careers that are available to them. Yeah, it's so interesting. I feel like in our space, college and career exploration is typically reserved for older kids. Like when you're in high school, you can start, you know, doing that kind of thing. But developmentally, you're so right that, you know, the early adolescent time period is exactly the time period when young people are going through this this process of self-discovery. Like, what do we want? What do I want to be? Who am I? What is my place in the world? And that strikes me as the exact time when you want to expose them to different types of options and different and, and people who are in those in those fields, right? I think ultimately the thing that sort of struck us all was constant conversations about alternatives to college and the fact that we hate that phrasing, right? It, it, yeah. we, we want to figure out a way of expanding opportunity and not having it appear as something other. Right, so how do you increase access to a diversity of pathways? What does that diversity of pathways look like? And how do you frame it in a way that doesn't seem like it's an alternative? Because alternative obviously has serious negative connotations. Because there is a sort of a changing dynamic between what students are looking for. There's changes in higher education about what they're providing. There's changes in the employer system of what they need from employers or employees. And it's not all satisfied with a four-year degree. So if we are still saying that that is what we define as success, it's problematic for all of our systems. We started doing individual family meetings where we were able to sit down with scholars and families on an individual basis, check in and see what their goals are for their scholar, what the scholar's goals are, what they want for themselves, how they feel like they're performing academically, socially and emotionally, how we can support them better. And all of this lives in Salesforce. So now this is information we can give to their mentor, to whoever their literacy tutor or anyone is, so that everyone is on the same page for this scholar, so that we are challenging them, encouraging them, and pushing them accordingly so that they can be their absolute best. And checking in with them authentically, because I think oftentimes our scholars have like these checklists of things that they're supposed to, you know, knock off. Like I'm a student, I need to get good grades and I need to, you know, 
be on my best behavior. Great. But what do you want to be outside of that? Like you want to be an architect? So like, what do we know about that? Like, how can we get you there? Who can we connect you with? But knowing that someone is there in their corner that they can see weekly that is interested and willing to put them in places or say their names in places that oftentimes they would have never had access to, that's that opportunity gap right there, right? Like, so now we have someone who's in a place that could provide or advocate on behalf of another scholar or something like that to give them that exposure to see if this is something that they really want to do and tell them more about as a whole. So during my years in youth ministry, it became very apparent to me that there was a disconnect between young adults, young people, and adults. This is true in ministry settings. It's true in cultural, you know, larger culture community settings. So I was really driven by seeing this need for middle schoolers to be taken seriously and to be given platforms to put their abilities into motion and not just be trained for some distant future. That was really the driving heart of why I said, you know, I've got to do something. Trying to make all of these learnings as accessible and intimate as possible so that middle schoolers feel like these are adults that are taking me seriously and that the adults get to see middle schoolers in a different way. We so often adults walk away from these experiences and they're like, those were some of the hardest questions I've faced. I had no idea that middle schoolers were able to think in this way or that that's some of the most creative thinking I've seen, you know, in the recent year. Like it's really about changing perceptions on both sides in a lot of ways. We're evolving a little bit. We're we're shifting and starting to think a little bit about like what are what are the pieces of citizen schools that really are making an impact within the communities and so forth that we serve. And we're really taking a pause in looking at what our community needs are and designing programs and designing ways to impact that community based off of what we, we, we are experts on. Imagine a world where your community and as a student within your community, you have access to hands-on engaging activities and caring adults, caring professionals in every space that you're in. You go to school, you have access and you see caring adults there. In your after school program, you have an opportunity there to work with caring adults on hands-on engaging projects and activities. And then what about like, you know, Saturdays, you might go to the college that's nearby and they have a a, a lab in which we have a maker fellow that supports building out maker-centered learning and these other hands-on engaging activities there that you are a part of. What if we created this ecosystem in which all of these folks within a community talk to each other and really are connected around creating the best ways to impact the students within that community? As a field of study, what do we mean by student motivation and what are some of the foundations of the research around this topic? So in theory and research, there's a ton, ton of theories out there, um, self-determination theory, achievement goal theory, uh, expectancy value theory, social cognitive theory. These are all motivation theories that ultimately try to, tries to understand um, and explain why students behave the way that they do in class and why they persist and or why they give up when they're pursuing certain learning goals in class. And from decades and decades of research, we know that there are some core things in the classroom environment that are key to student motivation. So one is positive relationships with their teachers and their peers. They need to feel like they belong. They need to feel like, students need to feel like they're seen and that there's people who care about them in their learning spaces. We also know that for students to be motivated, 
it's really important that they have choice and say in how they learn. And so Tracy was just talking about, for example, giving students different kinds of opportunities to express their ideas, not always expressed verbally or written through words, but integrating art and integrating other modalities. Students need to feel confident. So the sense of competence is something that's well-established in the literature. If kids come into classrooms feeling like they're going to fail, feeling like expecting to not do well, that really kills their motivation to learn. And then there's other findings, but the one I'll, I'll land on is, um, or end on, is that students find what they're learning relevant for their lives. Well, the reason I stayed in teaching middle school is because there's so much you can do. There's so many opportunities where you can link what you're doing to kids' lives and really get them immersed in a topic and actually want to learn. And that's the main reason I've stayed in middle school for almost, uh, say I've taught in middle schools for 17 years. And I've really stuck with it. it. It can be very, very challenging, but trying to turn kids on and keep them turned on to science and the wonder of learning is a hard thing in middle schools where it's really, really important. It strikes me that in some ways, motivation is idiosyncratic or it's unique to the kid. Like you have to find what specific thing is going to, like you said, um, uh, engage them or in some ways sort of set them off. And if it sets them off, then you can then you can redirect and say, well, you can actually do something about that. Let's talk about that. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> middle school, it's like the hardest time or the hardest period of ad adolescence and growing up in childhood in general. It's the time when you're really trying to figure out who you are and what you want to like, how you want to approach your learning, how what's important to you, what really stands out. You're also very opinionated. You really want to make sure like Fair is fair. Like these are things that uh, really our, our middle schoolers are struggling with as they start moving from working with one teacher all day long to now working with multiple teachers and got in, having to know different personalities and starting to introduce folks to get ready for high school and college because middle school is where it starts, where you're starting to really understand that you will need to interact with many different people at de many different points. And what we felt within citizen schools as to why middle school is that age range to kind of really focus a lot of our energy on, it is because it's that make or break point. If a student really just stops getting excited about coming to school, they're not even making it to high school. By high school, they're dropping out. So what we wanted to focus on is like, how do you excite students and get them to understand what are the things within education that really connects to them and really pushes them forward? Yeah, that's a great point. And I think the shift to working in the school day did come partially from an awareness that the environment, the landscape has changed. You're seeing increasingly and, and probably even more so now in the wake of the pandemic discussions around how to make the schooling experience feel really relevant for what students are going to need once they leave school. And an identification of a number of after-school programs as being um, really where some of the deepest learning is happening. And so how to bring more of that into the school day or make space for it during the school day. What do these look like? What are some of the, th the recent examples that you've had where you've engaged young people uh, in these types of conversations and what effect it may have had? So on a day-to-day -day basis, what it looks like is when I'm trying to teach a topic and there, there comes vocabulary that is outside of the standard scientific vocabulary that the state wants the students to learn, there's other vocabulary that I might be using that they may not get right away. So in my teaching, I'm actually kind of 
questioning students occasionally to make sure that, they're, that we're all on the same page. And I'm also trying to use their own language to help explain what I'm saying or when I'm asking questions. Like when you speak with more of a regional dialect in the way uh, the regional variation or dialect where the students are speaking in a specific way, I can speak in their own language and get them to understand things much faster. What it also gives me the opportunity to do on a day-to-day -day basis is initiate conversations where my go-to for years has always been Socratic seminars, but I love getting authentic conversations going this way using discourse because I can actually get examples from the students that pop up that, that they're actually wanting to relate it to something in their lives or something they've heard or something they saw on TV. And those moments don't come by all that much sometimes. And when they do, I like to grab them and then I can initiate an authentic discourse with them. And then when they're trying to explain something and they don't have the words, I can help them learn the words they want to use. I can help them with that scientific vocabulary and get them to a point where they can have a conversation about a complex topic based on their understanding of what they have in their own in their own world, in their own life. So if a student gets excited about working in a law firm and or like really working with a lawyer from a law firm, if a student is learning that there, can that be an opportunity that where they are moving into uh, high school and wanting to take journalism and wanting to understand debate and do a lot more in different spaces and hopefully go to law school at the end of the day or go into a field in which they learned or something that was ignited within middle schools? Once you get them on board of uh, understanding what they're doing and let them fly, it's kind of amazing the conversations that can come out of that experience. So the best example I can give you is we were doing a lesson um, called Harnessing Human Resources out of the Amplify curriculum, and the kids had to read articles and come up with something, a picture, and then tell me about what they read. So they basically did a book report via poster on the article in a group. So as I was just walking around the classroom and seeing them go through and create these designs and the ideas that they put into them and then, and then taking and infusing their ideas together and then creating this beautiful piece of artwork that they eventually would have to present to the rest of their class, that can kind of give you a conversation. So in my classroom also, when you get into presentation mode, you get the mic. And so the kids get a mic and they get out in presentation mode and they usually can, they get really excited because I have like this big speaker and then this microphone and they feel important. And it's an excitable moment for them. And discourse as well as a display of what they've learned. And then they have this beautiful piece of artwork in addition to that. It just becomes a really kind of just, you know, proud moment for them. And then a pro proud moment for me as the teacher. And then to go ahead and put it on display, they also have that there. So it's kind of cool to always have that tangible thing for that herbal kid. Know there's a grade behind it. Make sure they understand the content and they can come together and do some phenomenal things. You know, as I mentioned, I've had the opportunity to talk to a few leaders in the middle school space that focus on summer learning programs. And I'm always interested to know in how summer learning can be especially an opportune time to engage young adolescents. There's so much that goes into summer that you can do differently. So you have more control of your environments and environment is such a key factor in how anyone takes in information and responds to that information and, you know, engages in meaningful ways. The control of the environment is a really big deal and connecting kids across 
different communities. You can do in a way that when school's in session, you're a bit more stuck in a particular school district that in the summer, we have a chance to sort of bridge those divisions in a unique way and bring kids together. To me, summer learning is the environment that we can create and then a much more immersive learning experience, putting kids out into the community in ways that, again, sort of some of the, the structural challenges of the school day can present uh, obstacles to that. But during the summer, we can go on site to so many different locations in, in one week of camp and meet with community leaders in different ways and in different settings and to really create an immersive experiential learning opportunity in ways that are more difficult in sort of traditional school settings. The question we always ask at the end, if there was one thing, one bit of advice based on your experience that you would offer to educators, both in school and in after school and in summer programs, the things they either ought to know or ought to be doing, what would it be? This is a time where, if anything, they need us the most because they're really trying to figure it out. Middle school is probably, I think all of us have the most awkward and probably uncomfortable memories of us in middle school. So putting yourself in their shoes, especially growing up in the world that they're growing in today. And we found, you know, through our mentors and I think just even ourselves personally to have one or two caring adults like makes a difference. It truly makes a difference and impacts a scholar's trajectory as they go through school and even after school. And so just embracing them and who they are, all their greatness and their emotions and their awkwardness at this age so that you can see what they are capable of seeing, seeing those bright spots in them, even though they might not be able to see them in them in themselves and just feeding, feeding that light that they know that they need um, and, and oftentimes crave. If I had one piece of advice, well, one thing that I think about a lot, part of our mantra and part of our vision from the get go has been that we empower middle school students. And that empowering word is really important to us and empowerment is vital. It's one of those words that got that start to get used so much that has it lost a little bit of its meaning in some sense of like, does everything that we call empowering of youth actually empower them? Or does it make us as adults just feel a little better about the way that we're treating them? When we say empower, the way that we end up unpacking that, there's two words that stick out to me. One is listening to youth, listening to early adolescents. What is it that they're saying? And formal contexts? What is it that they're saying in informal contexts? What environments are we placing ourselves into that allow us to actually hear them and not just hear them trying to make us happy, but actually listening to middle schoolers? And then the second word that has really come to drive a lot about what we think about is celebrating middle schoolers. How do we celebrate the ideas that they have? How do we celebrate this stage of life that they're in? Not as something to survive, but as an incredible opportunity. How do we celebrate the experiences that they're having and that they're engaging with? How do we celebrate their approach and the beauty of the way that a middle schooler is? So listening and celebrating that I think when we listen and then responsively celebrate to the things that we hear well, then empowerment can spring out of that in a way that ends up being much more authentic and less about the adult that is doing the empowering and more about the middle schooler that's being empowered. If I can take a leave for two things mm -hmm. uh, and connect it to data, the first one being that Gen Z told us that they're looking for non-degree pathways for lower cost and faster to complete a faster, faster option than to completing a degree. So clearly there is an interest, there is a need which needs to be served for the future of the country. And 
if we find, don't find that solution, we are missing out on our challenge as, 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 a, as a stakeholder, so be it the researcher or a policymaker or an organization. So that would be my first takeaway, that there is a clear expressed need that Gen Z is looking for alternatives, which could be, and I use this word very cautiously here, uh, a better option than what they are always told as the only option, which is the college degree. Uh, but the second part uh, I will also highlight from the employer side is that they clearly indicated that the, the future is where they want to hire more candidates from non-degree pathways. So if both stakeholders are expressing need and we are not solving for it, there is something missing here. And so this is, this is clearly a call to action for us as a baseline from the research. Thanks for joining part two of the Lessons in Adolescence Season 2 Recap. Season 3 begins in October. Meanwhile, to hear all the conversations highlighted in this recap and to check out our other episodes from Season 2, you can visit the Remaking Middle School website at remakingmiddleschool.org or find episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Lessons in Adolescence is a production of Remaking Middle School, an initiative that seeks to transform the learning and development experience for young adolescents in the middle school years. Remaking Middle School brings together good educational practice in school and out of school with the latest developmental science. You can learn about Remaking Middle School at remakingmiddleschool.org or learn more about the founding partner organizations, the University of Virginia's Youth Next Center, on the web at education.virginia.edu slash youth-next, N-E-X, or on Twitter at youth underscore next, and the Association for Middle-Level Education, on the web at amle.org or on Twitter at amle. The Lessons in Adolescence podcast is produced by Abby Gillespie and me, Jason Cascarino. This episode was edited by Paige Waterhouse. Again, and as always, you can listen to or download each episode at the Remaking Middle School website at remakingmiddleschool.org, on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>